It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here on this cold morning. This is the kind of morning you want to kind of hunker down with the kids in front of an old movie, an old black and white movie, like, uh, I don't know, like Top Hat or something, yeah? Whatever. But you're here, and so is the Lord. We are looking at the call, and in part it's a celebration, it's reminding of us, uh, us uh, uh, with thanksgiving of what God has done here over the last 25 years. This is our 25th anniversary year, and, and also, in the process of reminding ourselves, we're, we're actually kind of continuing to refine and define and recalibrate so that we can be all the better able to serve God and his kingdom in the coming years. Uh, the heart of the call, actually last week's message, I'm not sure whether I really emphasized it, but, but the heart of the call last week was, was just a reminder that actually, first and foremost, we are called to be with Jesus. That whatever gifts and talents we bring, that we can, you know, we can harness in the service of God and his kingdom, the primary call on all of us is to love God through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. Yeah, good on you. I'll try that again. The primary call in our life is to love God and serve him and his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Great. Let me just pray now, and then we will look at God's purpose. I want to elaborate on God's purpose. Father, I want to say thank you to you because you've called us together. It's no accident that we have come together as a people. It's no accident actually to be particular and specific that every single person who is in earshot of this message this morning is hearing this message. Thank you, Lord God, that there is something that you want to say to each and every one of us. And we pray, Lord God, that there will be revelation now. Holy Spirit, will you come to see almost behind the words to the spirit of the words and the giver and the lover of the word Uh, so that we might know your presence among us and that your kingdom might come. And everyone said, Amen. Now one of the verses that, forgive me if I've been laboring it, and I'm afraid I'm going to labor it some more, not so much today, but in the the weeks and the days to come. And, And the reason I'm laboring this is because it's an aspiration for us. It's not something that we're living in yet. And as a preacher, you want to preach until the people have got it, right? So this Ephesians 3, 2021, let's just whack it up there, which is really more about God than it is about us, is something that I'm trying to believe myself, trying to really get down into my genes, my, not my trousers, my genetic code, you know. I want to get it down there and our genetic code. So we, we know that we love and serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And he's willing, you know, he's willing. According to his power that is at work within us, his power is at work within us and he's able to do far more than we could even imagine in terms of meeting the needs of our community in this world and making Christ known. And it says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And I want to focus this week, although I'm going to go way off on, on preaching on a, on a, out of another passage, but what I'm trying to unpack more is, is this thing about glory in the church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That includes us, not just 
you know, the Bible, you know, the 2,000 years, it's us. Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever, amen. You know, God's purpose, <clears throat> thanks Matt. I'm gonna to have to be careful with my voice this morning. I can feel it's a bit dry and if I'm not careful, I'm gonna lose my voice and then what would you do? I don't know. Play noughts and crosses, I guess. God's purpose is to glorify himself through the church and in his son, Christ Jesus. You know, I am one of those people who, I guess you would say that I was always a God-fearer. As many of you know, uh, I, I was not raised in a Christian family context or anything. We didn't do church. In fact, my father had problems with church. I inherited those, that bad attitude. But I think if you really poked me, I was never one to say I don't believe in God, I just didn't believe in church. And in fact, when God began to move in my life when I was a young man in my 20s with a new family and uh, you know, developing my business and God really began to sort of uh, impact my life almost in an unwelcome way, I, I discovered Jesus and the centrality of Jesus. I, I suddenly fell in love with Jesus and I wasn't even going to church. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, if any of you here or in earshot or watching one of the video casts was to sit down wherever you are in your spiritual journey and just read Matthew, Mark, or, or Luke. Read Mark, it's the shortest. You'll read it in about 45 minutes. It's dangerous stuff because Jesus, the person of Jesus, is such a, he's such a compelling character. He just seems to be his own person. He's, you know, he, he, he's about God's business. What he says is just kind of thought-provoking and winsome and, and challenging and comforting all at the same time. And then he does these healings and these miracles, these things that we're beginning to see again in the church today and not least this church. All of this is fascinating. You know, you read it. I didn't have a problem with that, you know, as a 20-something 20 20 getting into that. I had a problem with the church. So much so, and you know the story, I'm not going to repeat this ad nauseum, but uh, when I went forward for the ministry, believing that God was actually shoving me that way, and it was, still wasn't going to church, you know, I said to people in my interviews, I said, there's just one problem. I don't have a problem with God. I have a problem with people. I hate people. I actually said that to them. I, I honestly, it's not a lie. I said, I hate people. Hoping that they would chuck me out and I could get on with building my business, you know. But they, they sort of rubbed their chin and said, well, very interesting. <laughs> so like, that doesn't happen in interviews. You know, chuck me out, get on with it. You know, wake up, wake up. So I had a problem with church. But God does not have a problem with church. It is a problem for us, but he does not have a problem with church. In fact, it is his chosen means to make Christ known. You know, when God began to move in my life and Fliss's life, I thought, right, well, maybe we can do this without formal religion. Maybe we can just sort of try and live out a Christian life, and we'll actually we'll do more than that. We'll even tell people about our faith. We weren't just sort of private Christians, you know. We, we took every opportunity to tell our business friends and associates, and do you know what? They fell in love with Jesus too. It was like taking ki candy off kids. You talk to people about Jesus, you reflect back to them your experience of Jesus, and people find it absolutely compelling. The most antagonistic response I ever got was, 
from you know, abject atheists. They would listen to me talking about Jesus and tell them about my experience, and they, they would end up, and I had it time again with them just simply saying, well, I wish I had your faith, man. So it wasn't that they sort of argued me out of it, it was just they, they just said, it's not for me, I just wish I had your faith. So, you know, go and do your own thing somewhere else, go away. It, that, was as, that was as rough and as boisterous as the interaction got. It was incredible. People fell in love with Jesus, but Fliss and I found that as we began to try and disciple these people, we were way out of our depth. As we tried to mentor them and coach them, we just, man, we could get them saved, but we couldn't get them coached or, or, or fired up, and, and we would see them stall like some, you know, oh my gosh, to us it felt like a baby in, a, in a, an incubator that we were willing and longing to come to life and it sort of held on to life for six or seven weeks or maybe 12 weeks or 15 weeks and you think it's going to make it and then it doesn't make it. A very powerful image for us. We had some close friends who literally were going through that while we were going through this. And it felt like the same, that people were meeting Jesus but something was going wrong and we then, 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 then we realized that God had built the church, had placed the church, had, had called the church, the purpose of the church, this awkward, difficult, irritating thing called church was his very means of helping babies in Christ grow. His plan for the church, his purpose for the church is to create a new community a new community. And this community has a very particular uh, scheme and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, call upon it. What he's trying to do is forge a new humanity. Humanity is broken. There's something deeply wrong at the very heart of humanity. And God is trying to forge a new humanity but the way he's doing that is not by pulling people out and saying, come over here, forget that lot, they're done for, save yourself, come over here, I'm gonna do this lovely little religion thing and you're gonna be blessed and, and you know, I'm done with that. And that. Absolutely, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God is forging a new community to live within the community, to model to the community what he has in mind for humanity. You know, rattling through this, we, we, as we began to engage with the church, I think a breakthrough came for us when, when we moved into inner city Leeds, again, responding, as it were, to this sense of call, drive, call it what you will, that flowed out of our fascination with Jesus. We moved into the inner city and we moved into this uh, church called, uh, um, first of all, actually, I should say before that, we went to a church called St. Luke's uh, in Harrogate. In fact, we're going up to Harrogate, Linda and I and Fliss, going up to Harrogate this afternoon for a conference, and we went to this little place called St. Luke's, and this, I think, began this process of a vision for the church for me, because I, I, I remember going along the first time, and I was still very, very much involved in my business and focused on the things that, ambitions I had, but I felt God driving me along to St. Luke's, and I went to a prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting was on a Tuesday night, it was very hot, you know, it was a very hot summer's evening, and, I managed to find St. Luke's. I managed to find where the prayer meeting was. There was about 10 people in it. And the word Motley Crew, I remember it very clearly, came to mind. You know, my friends were, you know, 
well, they were business people and they were shiny, nice, bright, successful people. These were the people I liked to hang out with. And they would come over to our house and we would wine them and dine them and then we'd go to their house. And, but this bunch of people that God sort of made me sit with for an hour and a half on a baking hot night was a motley crew. And I kind of shuddered. I thought, I hope no one sees me coming into this place. But you know what? Over the next few weeks, I kept finding myself being driven, called, whatever back. And I got to to know this lovely, motley crew. And God began to work on my heart. And I began to see me and the way I I remember me me as a, a bit of an arrogant, you know, well, I won't duff myself up in front of you. It's too embarrassing. You know where I'm going with that. But I began to realize that these people, you know, although I would never socioeconomically hang out with them, I actually began to fall in love with them. And that's a very powerful and emotive word. But that began to happen. God began to teach me something about his, his family takes all comers. The successful, thrusting, ambitious, powerful, and the weak, and the inarticulate and the dispossessed and he brings them together and embraces everyone with a passion so that you feel like you're his favorite but actually we're all his favorite so St. Luke's this little Anglican church that was actually under threat of redundancy being closed down God began to work on my heart and teach me about his vision for a new humanity a reformed humanity the second thing is, you, is that uh, I want to say this. You really cannot know God outside humanity, uh, outside of community. You really cannot know God outside of community. And that was a biggie for me. Because I really thought, and I think I've got some, have I got another heading here, Matt? I'm sorry. I'm a little bit distracted this morning. You cannot know God outside of community. Have I got that or not? Well, not to worry. The thing about that is I didn't want to know God in the church. I didn't want to engage with that. I just wanted to have my own personal faith. But the reality is that, that in community, God begins to teach us not just to have a warm, fuzzy-wuzzy feeling, which I was beginning to get at St. Agnes, but to bear one another's burdens. This is a scriptural theme that in the church of Christ... People begin to bear one another's burdens. And we learned that at the next place we went, when we went to the inner city, to St. Agnes, where people you know, were very low income and many of them were struggling. And we suddenly, having given up and walked away from our business and really getting kind of drawn into this thing, we found ourselves, I was unemployed for five months. I've only ever had that one period, you know, and many of you may be struggling with a lot more than that, but I, for five months, I hadn't got a job and I was looking for one. And I didn't want to go back into, into jewelry. I, I, you know, I had this manufacturing business and people were, you know, old colleagues were saying, come and work for me, come and work for me. You know, and I said, I just don't want to do that, thank you. And so for five months, we, we were really struggling financially and we were living amongst a community that was struggling financially. And we began to see how the body of Christ, this thing, this weird, wacky thing, learns how to bear one another's burdens. It's not just down to you. You know, they gave us emotional support. They gave us spiritual support. 
They couldn't give us money. They didn't have any money to give. But sometimes somebody would, there'd be a knock at the door and uh, there'd be this, this lovely old lady, not old, she was a, a repensioner and she'd be standing there with a lemon drizzle cake for the kids. And the kids went wild. And you know what? It was a blessing to us. It really was. Because it was going to be egg on toast that night. And now it was egg on toast and lemon drizzle cake. And it killed me because I had a problem receiving from people. And so God taught us there about his vision for the church to be a place where we bear one another's burdens, whatever that means in your context or situation. And the last thing, and I think I found this the most challenging, and I guess in some ways it's still a, I'm still a work in progress, but within this new community, you, you really cannot change deeply. You cannot get healed out outside of community, outside the body of Christ. Yet, yeah, you can buy all the self-help books you like, you can go on this program or that program. You can talk in pubs and clubs to friends until the cows come home. But it wasn't until we were in another church, the Vineyard Church. This is a Vineyard Church, but we were in the church that we were trained up, where they had a lot of gifted and, and, and a lot of gifted people. But more than that, they were very, very straight, and they began to confront me and challenge me about some of the attitudes, some of the baggage I was dragging. It was still there, it was still dragging this stuff around, these, these attitudes towards people about certain kinds of people. And, and they did it not in, a, not in a, a, an angry sort of grab me by the throat and said, I hate the way you are towards that person. They were just little, little words at the end of conversations, you know, coffees and donuts, and then somebody would say, you know, Chris, I have to say to you, I thought you were a bit harsh in that staff meeting when you spoke to you know, the, that person. And, and, you know, the old Chris, the thrusting, ambitious business, like, who the hell do you think you are, bro? I don't need your judgmental attitude, because that's the thing that we always say about the church, in the judgmental. That rose up in me, but then I went away and I felt, I'll be perfectly honest with you, a measure of shame about my reaction. Now, shame's not a good thing. Nobody lives in, should live in shame, but God used it to confront me about my attitude, and I found myself doing the last thing on earth I wanted to do, which was to go back to that person later on and say, say, Mike, uh, you know, I think I might have overacted the other day, and I just want to say I'm sorry. And that was the start for me. And it wasn't driven by any social stuff. I mean, the world does that kind of thing all the time, that kind of, not, not the apology, but the anger and the, you know, all this kind of stuff. But there was something that the Holy Spirit of God within me and within his church was working on. He was kind of wooing me. And I found myself doing all sorts of things I didn't want to do, to be perfectly honest. But I had a lot of things to sort out. You're all lovely people, you're already there. But you know, I just had a lot of stuff and I had to ask people's forgiveness, and I had to ask my wife's forgiveness, and my kids' forgiveness, and I had to get real. And it would never have happened if I just carried on as a successful businessman, being a believer in Christ, and showing up at church at Christmas and, and Easter. 
It was the interaction in this new community between the believers that did that. God has a high vision for us. I want to read you another piece of scripture and then I'll just give you some teasers and we'll unpack this over the next two or three weeks. And what I really want you to get out of this is that you cannot do Christianity outside of the church. And what's more, you really, God has a vision for the church to model something extraordinary in the community out there. And it's something that's beginning to be birthed in this, this wonderful season that we're in these days. The passage, if you care to turn with it, or turn, look at your Blackberry, whatever it is you've got with you, uh, it'll go on the screen too, is out of 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is what, you know, I, I want you to hear this, because if, if, I, if you only heard what I've just said, you, you may be forgiven for thinking, well, God wants to take a bunch of dorks like Chris Lane and mold them into something that is a little less aggressive and abrasive. Actually, it's so much more than that. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, verse 9, in God's eyes, you may not feel any of this. You may barely relate to it or understand it, much, much less believe it, but this is God's vision for you and us together. God says that you're a chosen people. I love that starting place. Because part of my drive as a businessman was because I felt abandoned. Much of my early years was about, I'll show them. Begins with God's choosing you. I wasn't religious, I wasn't, why would God bother to choose me? Truth is, he's chosen every single one of you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, bunch of individuals charging around doing your own things. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, no thank you, I hear what you're saying, I wish I had your faith, but bye, au revoir, oh boy, get rid, get rid. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen people, Jesus actually says, he articulates this choice thing. He says, I have chosen you. You did not choose me. You may have thought that you were choosing me, and at one point he actually said this to me very specifically, Chris, you thought you were doing me a big favor by becoming a Christian and getting into church. It's not that way round, son. I chose you, I choose you, whoever you are today. You are not here today by accident. God is calling you. God wants to you to know that he chooses you and he chooses you to use all your skills and talents and all the potential that you have as his precious son or daughter. God chooses you. You are a chosen people. The second thing, a royal priesthood. Now the priesthood today, but more particularly, of course, the priesthood that Peter was referring to, the Judaic priesthood, first and foremost represented God to the people. God to the people. 
He was the one who, and they did it by all sorts of lotteries to find out who was the cleanest, righteous, most holy one or whose turn it was to go through into the holy place and all this kind of thing. He went there to receive from God and, 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 and make prayer for the people of God, make sacrifice for them. Moses went up the mountain. Moses, the first sort of you know, pioneer leader of God's people, as it were. He, he went up there. He got the Ten Commandments. He came down and gives it to the people. So, so we have a role as God's people to be that prophetic voice to our community. You know, we're not the wheel tappers and shunters club. We're not the bowls club. We're not the gym club. We're not the football club. We're not, you know, the, the, the allotment society. We're, we're none of these things. And, and I, I'm a member of clubs. We are something distinct and unique. We are the people of God. And as his people, we represent, we model, we speak into, and there are power in words, situations. Because God's plan is to forge a new humanity here and for us to model it in the communities that we find ourselves. That's one aspect of the priesthood. The other aspect of the priesthood is that a priest should be of the people and actually carrying the people, taking the people into the presence of God, leading them into the presence of God. And so we have a responsibility as the church to be so involved in our community as to weep when they weep and laugh when they laugh. And then we, with this unique and extraordinary and high calling that we have as his church, we can then bring their concerns, the community's concerns, into the presence of God and we can pray and we can minister and we can bear their burdens and we can share with them. You know, these, these kind of exclusive bre- uh, uh, churches where they, they just kind of shut the door and the world can do what it likes, but we're in this little you know, lifeboat Christianity and we're gonna get saved and there weren't enough lifeboats to go round, sorry. It just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. God's plan, and this is probably another sermon series, is to redeem the whole of creation, not just the whole of humanity. We probably, in the summer we'll look at that then. That's his plan. It's far, far bigger than Chris going to heaven. I'm all right, Jack. (laughs) One day, he'll find out. Tough luck then. (laughs) I'm okay. (sighs) As a holy priesthood, we represent. There is a responsibility, and it's tough. It ain't easy. Tell me about it. We represent God's passion, his kingdom, You know, we model it to the communities we find ourselves in, but also we make their concerns our concerns and we take it back into the presence of God. We begin, it begins to matter. You know, this, you know, I've I've given you enough of my story to, to know something about my journey, but you know, that arrogant, aggressive, ambitious young man found himself in the inner city of Leeds with his family, weeping because a neighbor's child was in hospital. And I thought, I'm going soft. I must be going crazy. What's the matter with me? But that's what God does. The priesthood part of us represents God to the people, but we take the people on our heart into God's presence. And finally, a holy nation. 
There is something distinctive about it. Holy means to be dedicated. It doesn't mean sort of all kind of floaty and white and shiny. Holy means dedicated. There should be an element of dedication about us. We should be ordering our lives increasingly. It's not easy to begin with. I, I, I understand this, and I still have to wrestle with this myself. But as time goes on, as, as individuals, as part of this community, we should begin to make his kingdom our priority. And we begin to order our lives around that. And do you know what? It really kind of, life works better like that. It really does. I've tried both ways. I've tried my own way, and I've tried his way. With a certain amount of reservation, you mean, what, really? Okay. But as I've yielded to that, as I've surrendered to that, and become part of a body, you guys, who are trying to do that, we actually find life begins to work better. Why? Because it's the way he designed it to be. John Wimber, and I'll, I'll finish with this story. John Wimber, tell, used to tell, John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. First and I knew him and had the privilege of being mentored by him. He told this story about in his days when he was doing some church growth consultancy, he landed at JFK, the airport just outside New York. He, had, he was going to do a, a conference, actually, speaking at a seminar, I should say, on, uh, to, to a number of very, very senior leaders in the church been invited to come and address them and got into his cab and he had one of those cab drivers that just talked and talked and talked and talked. And uh, the cab driver's uh, opening line was, where do you want to go? You know, pretty brusque and all the rest of it. John told him and the guy said, why are you going there then? And John said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm speaking at a convention of, a, of, of church leaders uh, about mission and boy, that's all he needed. He was off. And John got it, you know, all the way from, and Jeff Kay's a fair old way out of Manhattan. And oh, yeah, he got all this stuff about the church is this, and the church is that, and church is the other. And he was an Iranian guy. Very early on, he said, you know, I was raised Muslim, but I've darkened a mosque for 20 odd years, and I just don't do religion. Anyway, as they, got, as they hit traffic, and this guy's still talking, John, John was actually, he was thinking, oh my giddy, you know, how do I get him to shut up, you know? John said to me, he said, oh, can I just ask you a question? Seriously. And the bloke goes, yeah. He says, what kind of church would you go to? And the bloke looked startled and sort of surprised. And he thought, he says, that's a good question. He said, I would go to a church, I'd go to a church where they believe God's word and didn't argue about it. And I'd go to a church where they fed the poor. And I'd go to a church where they love one another. Yeah, that's about it. John heard that, and he heard the Spirit of God speaking to him through this angry, articulate, yellow cab driver. And John got his notepad out, and he thought, flipping heck. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Bible, folks. We believe God's word, we feed the poor, and we learn to love one another. It ain't easy, but it's a high and worthy calling. And in my opinion, 
something worth giving your life to. Let's have the worship team up. We'll finish there. To be continued, you know, whatever. Let's just all stand and I'll pray. Father, we want to say thank you to you because the truth of the matter, it all begins with relationship. It all begins with an acknowledgement that you have chosen us for some higher higher purpose. And to be honest, this side of glory, some higher reason, uh, truthfully, many a time I've said to you, haven't I, Lord, why did you choose me? And I guess all of us would say that. Why me? But he does choose us and calls us, he calls us son, he calls us daughter. And Father, as we try and focus in, in the midst of all the many voices and pulls upon our time, our energy, and our money, as we try and focus on what really matters, help us as a community to just rediscover not only Jesus, maybe even for the first time if we don't know him yet, to discover Jesus, but yes, Lord, to, to discover your, uh, and encounter and to understand your vision for the church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.